Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin reading with verse 13. We'll read four verses. Verses 13 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. The sermon title is Salt and Light. Thirteen years ago, I preached the greatest sermon that's ever preached. Now, don't walk out on me for saying that. Uh, In the bulletin for that Sunday morning, uh, it said, the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, That's what it said. It was the greatest sermon ever preached. And what I did was, you know, the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I memorized those three chapters, and I simply preached Jesus' sermon. So see, it was the greatest sermon that was ever preached. It wasn't preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, not at least on that Sunday when Jesus uh, preached it. He he did it. Um, But... It was the greatest sermon ever preached. And the reason that I decided to memorize all of that and preach it from memory is because I discovered that as hard as it would be to memorize the whole Sermon on the Mount, it would be easier to memorize the Sermon on the Mount than to live it. So I decided to memorize it instead and preach it that way. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, is at near the beginning of Jesus' masterpiece called the Sermon on the Mount. And in these verses, these four verses, he talks about us being salt and light. Verse 13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, salt and light. I want to throw up on the screen a couple of quotes. This first one, I don't know where it originated. I don't know where it came from. So we'll just call it by anonymous, okay? Anonymous did a lot of quotes, by the way. And this quote is this. We're not in this to test the waters. We are in this to make waves. We're not in this to test the waters. We're in this to make waves. Right? Do something, right? right? Let me show you another one. This one's not by Anonymous. This one is by the legendary Alabama football coach, Paul Bear Bryant. In all the Alabama, at all the Alabama football games at home, when Bear Bryant was the coach, he had this sign that he would hang over the entrance of the locker room so that when his players arrived at the field and went into the locker room, they would see this sign hanging over the entrance, and it said cause something to happen. Cause something to happen. Paraphrase, do something. 
All right? So you have two quotes. The first one is, we're not in this to test the waters. We're in this to make waves. Do something. And then the other, cause something to happen. Do something. Those two quotes are uh, an encapsulation of what Jesus says to us in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, you are salt and you are light. You and I, as Christians, are people whose responsibility is to do something, to make something happen. That's precisely what salt and light in our world are all about. Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus' masterpiece, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount is one three-chapter block. You look in your Bibles, if you have a red-letter version Bible, all three of those chapters are red-letter, just one big blob of red ink. Now, you go to Luke's gospel, and Luke also has the Sermon on the Mount, except he doesn't have it all in one place. He just scatters it all over his gospel like spreading salt. Uh, no pun intended, throughout his gospel. And so a little of it will be here and a little there and a little there, but not all in one block. Matthew, it's all in one single block. In Matthew's gospel, he preaches it on a, mountain, on a mountaintop. In Luke's gospel, Luke says he preaches it on a plain, which probably means that Jesus preached this sermon many, many, many times. I've said uh, in, in classes that I teach, look, if you're a preacher and you're preaching, Uh, Certainly, you don't want to spend all that time preparing a sermon and only preach it one time. I mean, you know, you need to be able to reuse that thing like a good pair of shoes, right? Right? So Jesus probably preached this sermon many, many times. At first, in Matthew's gospel, he's preaching it to his small group of 12 disciples. But by the time he finishes it, uh, folks have been pouring in to hear what he's saying. This, this is what leads me to believe that he was preaching it at a Baptist church because the crowd started out small, but as he was preaching more and more, folks were coming in late. And that's kind of like what Baptists do, you know. We come in late. Uh, and so by the time he's through, he's preaching it to a large crowd. And I want you to notice something about this sermon. This is not a sermon about salvation, This is not a sermon about salvation. In fact, very, very few times will you find Jesus preaching about how to be saved or salvation. And usually when he does preach about it, it's because someone has asked him about it. When he's just preaching a sermon, rarely is he preaching about salvation. Instead, he's preaching about what people who have salvation ought to be and do in their world. He's preaching about how to live the Christian life in an effective way. That's what he preaches about almost all the time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of Jesus' sermons are not about salvation so much as they are about how to live once you have truly been saved. And the whole gist of this message is about that, how to live in justice and righteousness as a result of the fact that we have been saved. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, there's something in these verses that we can't see in English, but is definitely present in Greek, which is the original language of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And that is that the words you, in both of those sentences, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, they are emphatic in Greek, which means that really the best way to, to translate them is this, you yourself. 
or the salt of the earth. You yourself are the light of the world. I think it's interesting, too, uh, that Jesus doesn't say, uh, I need you to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Or if you want to please the Lord, then you need to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, he may imply that later on. And anytime us, we preachers or Sunday school teachers teach on this lesson, we'll get around to, we need to be the salt of the earth and we need to be the light of the world. But that wasn't what Jesus said here. What Jesus said was, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He didn't say you need to be that. He didn't say, I hope you will be that. He says, you are salt and you are light. You're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, there's another thing here. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its saltiness. King James says, if the salt has lost its savor. And I thought about a question when I read that verse. I thought, can salt lose its saltiness? Can salt lose its saltiness? Now, people are divided over that. I noticed in the first service, I was asking people, and some some were out there shaking their heads like, no, it can't. And there were others that were shaking their head this way. Yes, it definitely can. There was no agreement. I thought we were going to have a fight in the first service. But this week, I I was looking at what scientists say about whether or not salt can lose its saltiness. And you know what I found out? They are in disagreement too. Some of them say, absolutely, salt can lose its saltiness. Others said, absolutely not. It's not possible for salt to lose its saltiness. Then I read one scientist who specializes in seasonings and food, and he said this, he said, salt can lose its saltiness. He said, when salt loses its sodium chloride, it ceases to be salty. And I'm thinking, when salt loses its sodium chloride, Sodium chloride is salt. So he was saying when salt loses its salt, it's no longer salty. Well, duh. What in the world? So I don't know if salt can lose its saltiness or not. Maybe what Jesus was saying is it's so ridiculous to think that salt should not be salty. And it's likewise ridiculous to think that we as the salt of the earth and we as the light of the world can, can even, it's unfathomable to think that we would not be effective in being salt and light. Let me say uh, two or three things about salt and light. First of all, salt and light are not elements useful to themselves. Salt and light are not elements useful to themselves. God did not create salt for the purpose of benefiting salt. God did not create light for the purpose of benefiting light. I really enjoyed Miss Renee's children's sermon this morning. Uh, she talked about what we use salt for. We, we salt food. In the first service, uh, McCullough said, when she asked, what do we put salt on? He said, chicken. And I was right there beside him. That's a guy after my own heart. He didn't mean to say, he just said chicken. He meant fried chicken because that's what I know he meant. There's nothing like good, salty, crispy, well done fried chicken. By the way, there's nothing worse than raw fried chicken. Have you ever eaten that? The crust is really good and you bite into it and that chicken's still talking. Woo, God, that's terrible. That's terrible. Woo! Mercy. That stuff's got to be cooked, baby. It's got to be cooked, right? Right. 
I, I don't even know why I mentioned that. Why am I mentioning that? Salt was not created for the purpose of salt. Nobody ever said, nobody ever said, I need to pour some salt on my salt. You ever heard that before? I mean, we put salt on watermelon, some of us. We put salt on fried chicken. We put salt on green beans. We'll put salt on uh, potatoes and potato chips. But nobody has ever said, well, you pass the salt. I need to salt my salt. Nobody has done that. Don't raise your hand that you've done it. We also don't shed light on light. In fact, uh, in some cases... When we shed light on light, it reduces our ability to see other lights. For instance, at night when it's dark and it's clear and the humidity is low, we look up in, in, the, in the sky and we see billions of stars, more than we can possibly count. But when the sun comes up, we can't see any of those stars. They're still there, but we can't see them. There are times when light actually takes away our ability to see other light. So my point here is that salt and light are not elements useful to themselves. Salt doesn't benefit. Salt, light doesn't benefit light. The second thing I want you to notice here is that the value of salt and light comes in their application on other things. Salt impacts the taste of food. Salt... Preserves. My grandfather, Papa Orr, had a smokehouse. Does anybody have a smokehouse today? Any of you out here have a smokehouse? Mr. Tom Carpenter used to have a smokehouse. My grandfather used to have a smokehouse. And he would take big uh, slabs of meat and would carry it out there into the smokehouse. And it would be covered with a mixture of two parts sugar and three and a half parts salt, and it would just be caked all over that piece of meat, that slab of meat. It was put there to preserve the meat. And they especially used it in a time before uh, our modern day freezers. And it would preserve the meat. Salt preserves. So salt impacts the taste of food. Salt preserves. Salt cleanses. There are things that you and I have trouble getting clean that if we would use some sort of compound that included salt, the salt would enable us to clean that particular spot. Salt creates thirst. You ever notice this? Salt creates thirst. If I eat something salty, I mean really salty for supper, I have noticed that I will wake up in the middle of the night My mouth is just as dry as it can be because that salt from supper created thirst in my mouth. And I won't be able to sleep until I get up and get uh, either some sweet tea or some water to quench that thirst. Salt creates thirst. So much that salt does, but it, it only finds its value as it is applied to Something else. Same thing with light. Light penetrates darkness. Light enables us to see. Something happened to me about seven years ago. I woke up one day and I was trying to read something and it was blurry. Blurry. And I said, no, this is not happening to me. Blurry. And it started happening more and more and more. And, but I was too proud to go buy glasses, prescription glasses. So I went down to Dollar General and got some 
some, uh, what are you laughing about? I bought some reading glasses, bought some reading glasses, one and a quarter magnification. Over time, I had to go up to one and a half. Then over time, I had to go up to one and three quarters reading glasses. It was getting really bad. And I have my sermon notes up here, and they were in, if you're a computer, uh, uh, word, word processing, liter- you know, they were a font size 11, my sermon notes. Font size 11, okay, right? Font size 11. Well, I got to notice, and the font size 11 was really blurry, and so I went up to font size 12. That was, uh, font size 12 lasted for about six months, and then I went up to font size 14. And that lasted for about a year, and I had to go up to font size 16 on my nose. Now, the reason I did that was so that I wouldn't have to wear my reading glasses in front of you because I'm a very prideful person. So rather than, than leaving my notes at font size 11 and wearing reading glasses, I just upped the font size from 11 to font size 16. My sermon notes went from one half page to 16 pages just by moving it from font size 11 to font size 16. And then finally, I broke down and I went to the eye doctor and he got me these glasses. These are bifocals. Can you tell? You can't tell. You know why? Because I made them to where you can't see the line. You know why? Because I'm a very prideful person. I don't want you to know that they're bifocals. In fact, I don't know why I just told you that they are bifocals. But they are. And now, now with the bifocals, I can see you clear, but, but down here on the bottom, I look down and my notes are back at font size 11 and I can see them with my glasses. I like that. But here's what I want you to know. I can take these sermon notes that are font size 11 and I can go out in the sunlight right now like it is outside, very bright. Listen to this. And I can read that font size 11 text without my glasses. Because of the brightness of the light. Light enables us to see And light reveals the truth. Light reveals the truth about something. And light soothes. Light soothes. I am so sick of cold weather. I am a July guy. I don't care about sweating my my undershirts up. I don't care about that. Just give me July. If I could just go straight, if if we could go through Christmas on December 25th and shoot straight from December 25th to April 30th, I would be a very happy guy. Instead, I have to tromp through the tribulation of January and February. I hate cold. I don't like cold. And you know, have you heard the forecast for tomorrow? Have you? How many of you have not heard the forecast for tomorrow? I'm about to bless you. (laughs) I am about to bless you. They're calling for freezing rain here starting tomorrow night, going through Tuesday. Oh, no, 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 not snow. We're talking freezing rain. We're talking about that fun stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I am sick of it. Listen, I like one good snow. And I'm not talking about ice, sleet. I'm talking about a good snow. And then I'm done. I'm ready for spring and summer. We had our snow. We had it, what, 10 days ago. We had it. I'm done. I'm ready for spring and summer. So what do they say? We're going to have ice tomorrow. 
But I'll tell you what I do like. On a day like today, when it's supposed to be in the low to mid-60s, especially after we've had teens and 20s with uh, single-digit windshield, I love to go outside like it is right here right now and just pull my shirt sleeves way up and just do this. Oh, and feel the light soothe my skin. I like that. I know, you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm not. (laughs) I like it. Light soothes. Light soothes. The value of salt and light comes in their application on other things. They have no value. They are not useful to themselves. Now, the third thing I want to say is this. That likewise, just like salt and light, the followers of Jesus are called to exist for others. We're called to exist for others. That's what being salt in the world and being light in the world is all about. It's not so that we can be useful to ourselves, although an argument could be made that as we live for Christ, it is beneficial to ourselves. I'll give you that. But the focus, the emphasis, the the movement of Jesus' words is not inward, it is outward. We are to We are to exist for others. It is only when we make a positive impact on the lives of other people that we are truly exercising our God-given qualities of being salt and light. I don't know if you've ever studied the history of salt. It's quite fascinating. Did you know that there are a few countries, just a few, maybe two or three in the world right now, that use salt for currency. Did you know that? They, they pay for things with salt. That's their currency. Years ago, back during the 1600s, 1700s, and eight, early 1800s, people uh, in, in the slave trade would purchase slaves and they would pay for them with salt. Did you know that? And if there was a slave that wasn't a good worker turned out not to be a good worker, what they said about him was, he wasn't worth his salt. May that never be said about you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Never let it be said that you are not worth your salt. Let's pray. Our Father, you've been talking to us this morning and you didn't say... directly that you want us to be salt. You said you are salt. You are light. And God, I pray that you would adjust our mindsets so that we who are naturally selfish people 
would be transformed into people whose mindset is, I exist for others. We exist for others. We do not exist for ourselves. So Lord, may our mindset be, we exist for the glory of the Lord Jesus and for the ministry to other people. We are salt and we are light. May it be so true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.